Welcome to the Forward Church Weekly Podcast. This week's sermon is from the series, A Wandering People. For more information about Forward, giving, or to request prayer, visit www.forwardchurchfamily.com. Well, hello, Forward Church family. I pray that everyone is doing well and that you have prayed up and prepared your heart for this sermon, because today we're going to see how God's people respond to the works of God in their lives. If you remember, we left off with God delivering his people from slavery to the Egyptians, and he had sent 10 plagues, wiping out all of the Egyptian false gods. And you'll remember that I mentioned that this is similar to what we are experiencing today. We've lost a ton of false gods over the last couple of weeks. There have been idols in our lives that we may not have realized they were idols in our lives, but they have been taken away from us, and now we are beginning to see that some of those things had become false gods. There were things that were taking up our time, taking up our energy, things that were above God in priority in our life, although we wouldn't have claimed it just a couple of weeks ago, now we are able to see it as those things have been stripped away. We've been forced to reevaluate our priorities and where God actually ranks in our life. You see, I think that God is cleansing his church. I believe that God is using this to draw us nearer to him. We never would have voluntarily given up many of the things that have been taken away from us, yet here we are, much like the Israelites, we have to choose whom we will follow. And thankfully, we saw through this scripture last week that through the Passover, as the final plague hit, that the people of God placed the blood from their family lamb on the doorposts of their homes, and God passed over them, sparing their firstborn children because they had chosen God's way, not man's way. But the Egyptian firstborn sons all died, and finally, Pharaoh got to the point that he said, get out of here. I want you out of here. Go. He's letting God's people go finally. So God had rescued his people. And today we're going to learn that the response of the Israelites was something kind of like this. So the Israelites, they get set free. And as they're leaving, you can imagine they're they're excited. They're just kind of like, hallelujah, God has rescued us. And then pretty quickly we see that that turns to, oh, no. Why did we follow Moses? We are, we are trapped out here in the wilderness. What did we do? We would have been better off had we remained slaves. And that's how they start to think. And, and then they're afraid because they're looking back and they see the Egyptians coming after them. And, and then they ask themselves, should we take this leap of faith? And should we follow God and, and go into the waters that he's parting? And then they, they leap. And we see God provide. And then we see them saying, praise God for saving us. And it's kind of this roller coaster ride that we see them going on where they're, praise God, we're excited. Oh no, we're scared. Now we're afraid. We took our eyes off God. Now, well, God provided again, so praise God. And we see them up and down in in their life and on this roller coaster. And you see, they had to leave in a hurry. And they had really no time to pack. So they fled Egypt. They're driving their livestock ahead of them. And most estimates claim that there were about 2.5 million Israelites making this journey. That's a ton of people. I can't even wrap my mind around how many people that is. Have you ever been to Thunder Over Louisville and you see all the people on the riverbank? That's nowhere near 2.5 million people. So Moses is designated as the leader of these people. But how do you yell out directions to 2.5 million people? I mean, I coach high school cross country, and I can tell you that it's difficult enough to get a small group of runners to follow me through the woods without someone taking a wrong trail and getting lost. I can't imagine 
trying to lead 2.5 million people. But God has a plan, and God leads the people as he leads Moses. Exodus 13, 21 says this, And the Lord went before them day uh, by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, that they might travel by day and by night. So the Israelites, they had witnessed the miracles of God through the plagues. They had seen how God passed over their homes to spare their firstborn children. And now God is traveling in this form of a pillar of cloud, spanning all the way from the ground up to the sky, leading them by day. And then at nighttime, so that they don't get confused and get lost in the dark, he lights up that cloud with fire to give them a definite light to follow. This was incredible crowd control. He had this direction for them to follow. All they had to do was look up to God and then just follow him where he led them. 2.5 million people being led by God in this miraculous way. So the Bible says they followed God into the wilderness. But as soon as the Israelites had left the borders of Egypt, the Bible says Pharaoh started having second thoughts. And Pharaoh says, you know, what, what have we done? We've released the people from, uh, from serving us, and now he has lost 2.5 million people who were his free labor. So he begins to panic a little bit, and he mounts up his whole army, the Bible says, all their horses, all their chariots, and they chase after the Israelites. Meanwhile, the Israelites had come to the Red Sea, and the Bible says they were encamped there. And look at what takes place in Exodus chapter 14, verses 10 through 14. The Bible says, when Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone, that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. Now this is where we see that people turn from, yea, the Lord has delivered us, to oh no, what have we done? And why did that happen? It's because they took their eyes off of God. If you see verse 10, it says, When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. Listen to this. They had the very presence of God with them in a pillar of fire by night and a cloud by day. All they had to do was keep their eyes fixed on God and follow Him, and they would not even have seen the Egyptians coming. Had they kept their eyes on God, going forward and seeking Him and following Him, they would not have even seen the Egyptians and been afraid. But the Bible says they looked up, they looked back, they looked over, and they saw the Egyptians chasing after them. They focused on earthly circumstances instead of the godly presence that was in their midst. And doesn't that sound like what we do? You see, we receive salvation through faith in Jesus and we start off strong and we celebrate all that he has done and we're excited about him and we're walking with him and we are following him. Then hardship hits and we begin to doubt. Tough times come and we take our eyes off of God. 
we stop looking to him and we look to the problems in our world and we become overwhelmed by fear and anxiety when we take our eyes off God and we look at this world. And we look back at our past chasing us. And then we start to fear, right? But look at what Moses says to the fearful people in verse 13. He says, fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. And then we see God prove faithful. You see, that's what he's telling us to do. He says, don't be afraid. You stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord. When we keep our eyes on the salvation of the Lord, that wipes out all fear from our life. And we see God prove faithful. The Bible says that the pillar of cloud moved from leading the people of God to becoming their rear guard. So this pillar moves over between the Israelites and the Egyptians. And through the night, it becomes a pillar of fire so that neither camp could go near the other. God was creating this barrier for his people to escape. Because if Pharaoh wanted to get to the people of God, if Pharaoh wanted to get his army to the Israelites, this meant that they would have to go through God. Church, you need to recognize that truth for yourself. It's the same truth that applies to the Israelites. It's the same truth that applies to us today. Once you receive salvation through faith in Jesus Christ, you are called to live in him. The Bible says you are to live in him. And when you are living in Christ, that means that in order for the enemy to get to you, he has to go through Jesus. And the beauty of that promise is this. The enemy can't get through Jesus. All the more reason for us to live our lives in Christ to be in Him. When we are in Him, we are protected by Him. So no matter what it is that's worrying you today, no matter what it is that's causing you anxiety, no matter what it is that's weighing you down, you take rest in, you take peace in, you take comfort in this. Not only does Jesus promise to lead you, and last week we talked about how He sustains you, but He is also your rear guard. He is protecting you. And he will lead you into places you never thought possible. And he guards you and he provides for you the whole way. So we see the Israelites, they begin to cross the Red Sea. As Moses lifts out his hand, God tells him, you, you lift out your hand and, and I'll part the waters. And what he does is he parts the Red Sea to, so that there's dry land for them to walk across. So God spreads the sea, he dries out the ground, and 2.5 million people cross over what's what, what once was a muddy sea floor. Another part of the miracle is God makes it dry so that they don't sink as they try to cross. And the moment that the is, last Israelite steps out of that seabed and onto the other bank, as the Egyptians are midway across, the Bible says that, that God, um, he frustrated their wheels, and I think their wheels are getting bogged down in mud. So I picture it as though that what was once dry land is starting to get muddy. And the Egyptians, they can't go fast, and they're getting bogged down, and they, they can't cross, and they're in the middle of the sea. And what the Bible says is that God tells Moses, he says, reach out your hand again so that the waters will come back in. And the Bible says the waters rush in on the Egyptians, and it kills every single one of them. And Exodus chapter 40, verses 30 through 31 says, Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power and the Lord used against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. 
So the people, once again, they have their eyes back on God. They see what the Lord has done for them, and they fear the Lord instead of the things of this world. And once again, we see their eyes are focused on God. They're looking at his power, his majesty, his might, and what he has done. And it says they believe in the Lord and in his servant Moses. And that leads us to our main text for today, because what I want to do is I want to spend the rest of this time on their response to God and all that he has done. And we see in Exodus chapter 15, verses 1 through 21, here's what God says their response was. So they've made it across the sea. They're responding now in chapter 15, which says, Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his host he cast into the sea, and his chosen officers were sunk in the Red Sea. The floods covered them. They went down into the depths like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you overthrow your adversaries. You send out your fury. It consumes them like stubble. At the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. The floods stood up in a heap. The, the deeps congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue. I will overtake. I will divide the spoil. My desire shall have its fill of them. I will draw my sword. My hand shall destroy them. You blew with your wind. The sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? You stretched out your right hand. The earth swallowed them. You have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them by your strength to your holy abode. The peoples have heard. They tremble. Pangs have seized the inhabitants of Philistia. Now are the chiefs of Edom dismayed. Trembling seizes the leaders of Moab. All the inhabitants of Canaan have melted away. Terror and dread fall upon them. Because of the greatness of your arm, they are still as stone. Till your people, O Lord, pass by, till the people pass by whom you have purchased. You will bring them in and plant them on your own mountain. The place, O Lord, which you have made for your abode, the sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established, the Lord will reign forever and ever. For when the horses of Pharaoh with his chariots and his horsemen went into the sea, the Lord brought back the waters of the sea upon them, but the people of Israel walked on dry ground in the midst of the sea. Then Miriam, the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took a tambourine in her hand, and all the women went out after her with tambourines and dancing. And Miriam sang to them, Sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. You see, that's a fabulous passage of Scripture. And there we see a song. We find a song in Exodus where they are praising God and they are worshiping him. They're worshiping him in song because of what he has done. Do you remember last week I, I said that God rescues us from the slavery of sin to a life in the wilderness where we are to worship him. You see, we are saved to worship. And God has a plan for you. And that plan for your life is all about worship. At Forward Church, our mission statement is to worship God and make disciples. And listen, whether we're a church gathered, meeting regularly in the church building, or whether we are the church scattered, like we look right now, 
we can still be about our mission of worshiping God and making disciples. Our methods have changed a little bit for the season, but the mission is still the same. And through today's text, we're going to see how the people of God respond to the work of God. You see, this is a sermon on how to live as the people of God. And don't we need that right now? Don't we need to know how to live as the people of God? While the church gathering is very important for us and it's encouraging for us, it's a time for us to build one another up, it's a time for us to spur one another on, we will see that the church gathering is actually going to become more beneficial to us once we are all living out the mission when we're the church scattered. See, I said earlier, I believe God is cleansing his church. I believe that what he's doing is he's allowing this time of the coronavirus pandemic to happen, and he's stripping away our idols. He's stripping away our, our comfort. He's stripping away our consumerism. You see, for so long, we've been a consumeristic-minded church. You know, what does the church have for me? And he is helping us understand where our hearts are. He's stripping all that away. And I think he took all that away because we had idols in our life that were getting in the way of worshiping him. And he's revealing our hearts. He's revealing whether we truly worship him as Lord. And Exodus 15 is a great example of why we are to worship God. And that's why this passage is so good for us today. It's going to show us that God's people worship God because he saved us. That God's people worship because his character deserves it. And that God's people worship because his faithfulness drives it. Listen, God's people can't help themselves. We have to worship. Exodus 15.1 says, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. You see, we worship because God has saved us. The people of Israel, they were trapped between a raging sea and a raging army. They had nowhere to turn, nowhere else to go. And God Almighty, against all human odds, he saves them. God has delivered them. God has rescued them. They're no longer slaves. They're no longer in fear, no longer running, as long as they have their eyes on God. Their enemy's been defeated. And now look at how they respond. Verse 1 says they sang to the Lord. You see, this song is to the Lord, about the Lord. The theme of this song is their redemption, the Lord's salvation. This is the redeemed singing to their Redeemer about His redemption. You see, God has saved them from death to life, and when God saves his people, his people sing. You know, I just love at the end of movies, you know, kind of those big epic movies where there's been this great battle, and then you see the victors at the end, and they're in celebration, and they're singing. You know, there's a lot of movies like that. I love those kind of movies. Listen, that's our natural response to victory. Our natural response to victory is to sing and to celebrate. And it should be our response to the Lord for the victory he's given us through his son, Jesus Christ. Over and over again in scripture, we see the redeemed of God singing to the Lord. In fact, John gives us a picture of the throne room of God where Jesus sits on his throne and surrounding him are the saints. And guess what the saints are doing? They are singing what John describes as a new song, singing to him. Listen, there's going to be a whole lot of victorious singing in heaven. And I know some of you, especially men, maybe you don't like to sing and you say, man, hey, I'm just, I'm really not much of a singer, but guess what? You should consider getting used to it. I want to encourage you. One of the most God-honoring things that we can do is to sing to our God. 
If you don't really understand worship and singing to the Lord, then maybe it's something that you should begin praying for. Begin praying for this new desire, a new understanding of why we sing to the Lord. You see, we sing in response to his salvation. And there really should be no other response but for us to sing of the great things he has done. Look at Ephesians 5, 18 through 21. It says, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody who to the Lord with your heart. Singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So because the Lord has saved us, we worship him with song. It's not a command of the Bible, but it's a call. It's a call to worship, a call to celebrate. So we worship God, first of all, because he saved us. God's people also worship him because his character deserves it. We look at verses 3 through 10, it says, The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his host he cast into the sea, and his chosen officers were sunk in the Red Sea. The floods covered them. They went down into the depths like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you overthrow your adversaries. You sent out your fury. It consumes them like stubble. At the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. The floods stood up in a heap. The deeps congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue, I'll overtake, I will divide the spoil, my desire shall have its fill of them, I will draw my sword, my hand shall destroy them. You blew with your wind, the sea covered them, they sank like lead in the mighty waters. Now doesn't that seem a little harsh? When, when you first read it, they're rejoicing in the death of their enemies. When you, when you first read that, it sounds like, wow, they're, they're having this big celebration. All these people just died. They're on the banks of the sea. They're, their dead bodies are, and that these people are celebrating and rejoicing. But listen, what we have to understand is that there are several truths about God's character revealed in his word. Some of them are, you know, that he is light, that he is love, he is righteous, he is patient, he is long-suffering, he is merciful, he is also holy and just. And because he is holy, he hates sin. Because he is righteous, he must put sin and sinners to punishment. And this says that the Lord is a man of war. He wars against those who do evil, those who persist in sin. You remember how long-suffering he was with Pharaoh and his people? He gave them chance after chance after chance and sent the plagues and kept telling them and warning them, and they wouldn't listen. But what God does is he... He destroys those who persist in sin. He brings righteous judgment, and then we who are saved rejoice. You know, sometimes our court systems miss it and don't get justice right, but God is a perfect judge. And with his perfect justice, he will bring judgment, and judgment on all is coming. So the redeemed of the Lord, we rejoice and we sing because we understand the freedom we've been given. We understand that we've been forgiven of much. We understand that we don't deserve salvation, yet he offers it by his grace, and we receive it, and we sing to him. And none of, none of what they're singing is a surprise to God either. They're reminding him of what he has done, but he knows what he has done. God knows who he is. So for whose benefit are they singing these songs? It's for their own benefit. It's for their benefit. You see, our singing should be instructive. Worship teaches us. Worship reminds us. 
Colossians 3.16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. You see, worshiping God through song, it's instructive for us. Worshiping God through song, it builds us up because it reminds us of what God has done for us. Worshiping God through song, it, it, it encourages us and lifts our hearts and lifts our spirits and reminds us of what we have been rescued from. It teaches us. It's a narrative story. And that's why they sang in verse 11, Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? You see, they needed to sing this song over and over again because we see in the very next chapter that they already forget how great God is. You see, we have very short memory spans. We sing about how great and awesome God is, and then in the next moment or in the next day or next hour, we're already forgetting about how great and awesome God is. Listen, during this pandemic that we're facing daily, it's easy to get discouraged. It's easy to hear all the negative news and to begin thinking about that and wonder where God is. So, So what I would suggest and what I've been doing is I've chosen to listen to worship music on on regular I mean, I'm listening to it all the time when I'm driving to and from work. I'm listening to worship music, and it dramatically impacts my mindset because I'm continually being reminded of who God is. And I'm taking my eyes and my ears and my heart and my focus off of the things of this world and what's going on around me, and I'm fixing them on God. Worship music takes my mind and my heart and puts it in the right place. And you know what I've been doing? Even in my truck by myself as I'm singing along. I'm singing along because my God has saved me. I don't care what people think that are driving by that see me singing. My God has saved me. Therefore, I sing up worship to him because his character deserves it and because his salvation is great. But we also worship because God's faithfulness drives it. You see, God is faithful in his love for his people. Verse 13a says, You have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. You see, this steadfast love, it's God's covenant love. His steadfast love means it's, it's true, it's strong, it's solid, it's not going anywhere. He's made a covenant. You see, our love could be very fickle, it could be, it could be based on emotions and feelings, but God has swore an oath to love his people. Those whom, those whom he has redeemed and whom he has called out, he loves forever. God is faithful to his love. Those of us who have been saved by faith in Jesus Christ, we are loved forever. God loves his creation. That's why he sent Jesus for all of us, so that we could be adopted into his kingdom. And he's faithful to his promises. Second part of verse 13 says, you have guided them by your strength to your holy abode. You see, he is currently at that point leading them to his holy abode. And in the rest of the song, it focuses on future events. So we see there's a pattern here in this song. Salvation is accomplished in the past. It's being used to fuel obedient faith in today, in the moment, that will one day be finally complete in the future. So Moses looks ahead to the end of the journey and speaks about it with confidence and with faith and with assurance. And he's able to do that because he looks back at the salvation that God has already performed. And that's the pattern that you and I have to master. We have to learn to look back at the finished work of the cross of Jesus Christ and that he has saved us. And with that, 
knowledge and that truth, we have to then learn how to live in the moment of today, strengthened by his salvation. And then we live with hope in a future, a future deliverance, that he will deliver us once and for all from the suffering of this world. So how can you be sure that God will keep his promises? You look back at what he's done in the past, and you sing about it. He has proven faithful. Listen, I understand some of you, you're in a daily wrestling match. Some of you have sins that you're struggling with, and there are days when it seems like your flesh wins over more than your spirit. Some of you, with everything that's going on in this world, you've been looking at, 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 at news feeds and at social media and at just all this stuff coming at you, and, and you're overwhelmed with anxiety, overwhelmed with fear. Many of you are consumed with fear about tomorrow because of your past. Let me remind you, stop looking at your past. Stop looking at the things of this world. We have to be aware of what's going on in this world. But don't let that be your sole focus. What you need to do is you need to look beyond your past all the way to the cross. Keep your focus on the cross of Christ. Look to the cross. Your sin was paid for on the cross of Jesus Christ. So place your faith in Jesus. Repent of your sin. And you can move forward worshiping your God who is faithful to save. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we bow before you right now. And God, we just... We confess to you that we are in a time of great anxiety, in a time where things around us are, seem to be falling apart. It feels like the Egyptian army is storming down on us, but it's an invisible army. It's the sickness that is scary, and we have fears, and we wonder if, if we'll get sick, and if we do get sick, if there'll be enough, enough medical care to be able to take care of us, or places to take care of us, and, it, and we wonder if we'll be able to survive it, and we wonder if we might carry it and give it to one of our loved ones, and and God, we can get consumed by fear in this. So God, right now, we just confess that to you. And we give that to you. And Father, we fix our eyes on you. And we trust you that you'll be our rear guard. We thank you, Lord, that no matter what this world throws at us, that we have salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. We thank you for the cross and what you've done for us. And God, we know that we can live in the moment now trusting and resting in the truth that our, our, our souls are secure for eternity because of what Jesus has done for us. And Father, with that, we live with hope, looking forward to the future that you've promised to us in eternity with you. So Father, as we begin to get anxious, would you remind us of how the Israelites were anxious because they took their eyes off of you. And may we keep our eyes fixed on you. And through that, may we worship you all the more. God, we want to have worshipful hearts. Reveal to us idols that we have in our life. Reveal to us through this time things that were taking the place of you. Reveal to us where things were, were out of order so we can get those things in order. And we can see what's most important. And we can fix our eyes on you and following you with all that we have. And through that, we would be more selfless. And we wouldn't be focused on our own needs and wants and desires, but that we'd be focused on others. Because God, your word says to love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then to love our neighbor as ourselves. So God, through this, may we begin to love our neighbors as ourselves as well, so that we can be the church to others. 
We thank you for your word. Thank you for the ways that you speak through your word. And we look forward to what you are going to do as you continue to grow your church as the church scattered. And we look forward to the day that we get to gather back again. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to the Forward Church Weekly Podcast. We hope you'll join us next week as we continue in our series, A Wandering People. For more information about Forward, giving, or to request prayer, visit www.forwardchurchfamily.com.